Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffitt, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. Hello, welcome to the 11th broadcast of the book. We thank you for joining us. Our goal is to interview men who have written important books about the book. As we discuss their work, it's our goal to inform and to enrich your spiritual life. As you know, there are many great books out there to read, but only a few are worthy of your time and efforts. Our goal is simple, to introduce you to those books worthy of your time because they will help you better understand the Word of God. It's our privilege today to welcome an author who has plumbed the depths of theology and philosophy, and he's lived a real life among people. I'd like to welcome Dr. Timothy Demi. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I am your host, Scott Moffat, and I am joined today by my grandson, Gabriel Penfield. Hello. And Pastor Gary Karwaski. Today, we discuss Tim's book on war, peace, and Christianity, questions and answers from a just war perspective. That's what it looks like if you'd like to purchase it. He also has many other books like this that are available at uh, places like Amazon or your local bookstore. Before we begin, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and to hit the notification bell. That way you'll never miss another one of our new releases. Let me share a bit about Tim and his background. And that's really prepared him to write this book. Currently, Tim serves as the at the U.S. Naval War College as, as professor of ethics, military ethics, and uh, he's also retired from the United States Navy after 20 years in the chaplaincy. Tim has authored or co-authored or edited a plethora of books, uh, countless books, in fact. And he's written on a myriad of subjects, which include ethics, theology, current events, and many others. He's written numerous articles for scholarly journals and speaks on said issues around the world. His educational background boggles the mind. Want me to say it? Want me to say this educational background? All right. Two doctorates, five master's degree, and only one bachelor's degree. But man, that's a lot of schooling. He earned a PhD and an MA from, um, pronounce that, Salve Regina University? Salve Regina, yes. Regina, yeah. Got there. Uh, A PhD and a THM from Dallas Theological Seminary in Historical Theology. An MST from Cambridge in International Relations and an MA from the Naval War College in National Security and Strategic Studies. And even more, an MA and BA from the University of Texas in European History. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my goodness. Tim, question. Are you still married? (laughs) I am. But as I always tell people, we don't have children. I don't watch much TV and I don't play golf. So I had to do something. (laughs) That's true. There you go. 
I, to tell you the truth, I was exhausted just reading your background and all the schooling you went through and all the works you've written. And you even write articles for journals. I don't, I don't know how you do it. I know. One, I, one master's degree and one doctorate is enough for me. That's, that's, that was plenty. And, and Gary served 27 years in the United States Navy at the same time. Wow. By the way, I received an email from Dallas Seminary today, which says Tom Demi, uh, Tim Demi, excuse me, is the, is it uh, the, the alumnus of the month, year, or decade? Oh, uh, must be, <laughs> has to be the, either the year or the day. You know, so. it, it could be any of those. Of the hour, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so as we interview Tim on his book, War, Peace, and Christianity, Questions and Answers from a Just War Perspective, that's a real mouthful in and of itself. It's of added value because of what's taking place in Eastern Europe today. So let me begin with the first question I ask all the authors that we interview. Why did you write this book and why did you write it in 2010? Okay, well, great. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be with you today. I need to preface all of my comments with saying, these are my own views or uh, the disclaimer and not the views of the Navy or the government or any other federal agency, they're strictly my own views, or the Naval War College, they're strictly my own views. I wrote the book with a colleague, Daryl Charles, uh, because of a sense that there was uh, a need to answer some of the basic questions that was that were going on. We were at that point, we were almost 10 years into, or 10 years beyond 9-11, and uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq, terrorism, and there was a sense that we both had that, that there needed to be uh, an articulation of what we consider to be the major tradition within Christianity uh, regarding war and peace, which is called the just war tradition. Many people will call it, uh, you may read of it or hear it as the just war theory. It's not a theory, it's a tradition. Uh, and so we, and we, we chose the question and answer format just because as 27 years as a chaplain and, and Daryl had many years as, as a professor, you get a lot of questions. And so and we find that if you can answer the question in a couple of minutes, that's what most people want. They don't want 20 minutes or 30 minutes. They want a, a you know, one, two, three minute answer. And we want also to have a book that would be substantial, but would allow people to not have to read cover to cover. You could pick and choose what you read or you have a couple of minutes, pick, you know, read a question and move on to something else. So fair enough. Um, it's my understanding that just war tradition is sort of a middling position between militarism and pacifism. Could you, if 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 that, that is correct, I think, isn't it? Could you explain what just war means for our audience? Yes. yes. And uh C.S. Lewis probably said it best. He was a just war proponent. And he said, uh, if war is ever lawful, then, then peace is sometimes sinful, which is, it is a view that, that, that there are times when the use of force is appropriate, uh, just as it would be, uh, you know, we, we might use force to restrain a, a, a patient or a prisoner. So also use of force is, is, is appropriate in the realm of international relations. Uh, to uh, defend the nation. Yeah. Yep. And it is, it is the middle position. It has a long history uh, coming from uh, 
Oh, Aristotle. The Greek, the Romans, yeah, absolutely. In, in through Christianity. Uh, but it, it, it is like, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, so it is, uh, it, it has three strands, and I, I like to say there are three strands to it. it it's, uh, it's Greek philosophy, it's Roman law, and it's Christian theology. And th so, those three have wound together in the West uh, to, to create this tradition. What was the wellspring of it? Where did it be actually begin? In Christianity, I would say it began with Ambrose and Augustine. Uh, it, I, I would, be, but you can push it back. For, you can push the, the ideas of it back further to to Plato. Uh, mm -hmm. I tell people. So in the military, we have something called rules of engagement, and rules right. of engagement change depending upon the circumstances. And I tell people, you know, if you ask me where do where do rules of engagement come from, I can give you the three hour answer, and it takes us back to Plato. Uh, that's probably not the answer people want, but but ideas are like, uh, you know, values have consequences and uh, ideas have genealogies. Just mm -hmm. as people have genealogies, so too do ideas. And if we look at this idea of, of, of war and peace, uh, it, it has a genealogy. And my view is, is that, you know, as a Christian, we want to have a Christian worldview. And your mm -hmm. worldview must encompass all aspects of life. It must encompass society and family and, and church and education and economics, but it also must, you, your world, Christian worldview must also be able to address issues of war and peace. And so it's a, the just war tradition is a moral, ethical, philosophical, I would say biblical framework mm -hmm. within which to think about issues of war and peace. There are today, uh, there are there is a secular there is a tradition of the just war perspective and there is a, a Christian tradition of the just war perspective, but both of them have their they share they share the genealogy of Christian theology. Yeah, so the so the way you organize the secularized in, in last hundred years, say, but it is it comes out of Christian theology. Okay, it does. Okay, so the way you organize the book is very helpful because you go question by question. If you need a question answered, you just search it down. You can go all the way to the end. You can start in the beginning. It's a great way of organizing the book, right? And the first right. half is more, or the first quarter, I guess, is more philosophy. The second quarter right. and third quarter is more ap applicable. And the last yes. quarter is more biblical, right? So one yeah. of your topics is Christianity and how, does, how it relates. And it shows throughout the book that Christianity relates. Did the just war theory originate before Christianity or separate from Christianity, or did it originate from Christianity? There were roots law? of the tradition before Christianity, but it really, it really is, it becomes fully articulated within Christianity and within, you know, the rise of, say, the fourth, third, fourth century. Uh, it, it takes off with with Augustine, and then certainly later on in the Middle Ages with uh, the uh, the writings of, of Thomas Aquinas in the 11th century. Aquinas uh, writes his book, the Summa Theologica, in which he mm -hmm. says he wants to write an encyclopedia of all theological knowledge, and so he addresses war and peace. And he said, but he says in his in uh, chapter 20 of the Summa, he says, "I'm really just quoting." And building my my thought and my statements on Augustine seven hundred years earlier, so there's there's a long continuity. Uh, now, now, yes, there are Christians who argue 
there were are, are other views, and indeed there are other views. But I, uh, my, our contention is that it's the prevailing view uh, in the West, and ha has been for centuries. Gotcha. All right then. Um, so thinking about just war, it seems that you laid out you know, as as you. Uh, wrote the various chapters of the book you there was there's some repetition because it's applied to various individuals and various groupings which right. i thought was really good it just re refined it but there are some really outlying principles on just war and i think we want to look at at least the first three of them and how these are probably critical to determining whether a war is just or not and those three are it's a last resort is it a just cause is it yes. a valid authority? I think those are the top three that, uh, and there's some others that yes. we can get into later, but those I think are the top three. Well, that comes from the right. is it so Jews? Is it come from the Jews? Jews yeah, there. Well, there, there are now three categories: usog uh, bellum, mm -hmm. which is justice on the way to war. Use in bellow, justice in the midst of war. And now they're even since the second the Second World War, there's use post bellum, justice after war. So the question that the the questions are who has the right to declare a war? Uh, you know, what are the things that need to be considered on the way to war? Then what are the there's two primary principles once we have entered conflict, and then once the conflict ends, how do we ensure justice after that? So, but yeah, last resort. So, uh, so last resort. That's that's one of the use odd bellum, and that is, you know, have we exhausted all other means? Have we exhausted the diplomatic? Have we exhausted the economic? Have we exhausted you know, all other means, such uh, so that this truly is a last resort? And that mean, could we talk one more day or one more hour? Of course. You could always talk one more day and one more hour, but have we reasonably exhausted all other all other venues, all other avenues, but uh, before before declaring war? Uh, just cause is a, a, it, it, a, uh, primarily is seen as defensive. A just cause is a defensive war. Uh, you don't a, a just cause. You know, uh, a just cause is not. Uh, seeing someone else's territory and saying, I want that, and therefore I'm justified in getting it. Uh, no, it, uh, a just cause is a defensive war. Indeed, one of the major proponents of the just war tradition, uh, the secular iteration of it, is uh, it's a scholar named Michael Walzer. He wrote a book called Just and Unjust Wars. Uh, it came out in 1975, and it's been issued in print since then. And last Saturday, he had a, an article in the Wall Street, a long article, lengthy article in the Wall Street Journal, uh, talking about Ukraine's just war. That it, it is a defense, you know, putting the Ukraine war in that context, saying it from his perspective, it's a it's a just war that Ukraine is fighting because it's a defensive war. Uh, so last resort, uh, and then what was the uh, just cause? Last resort, I forget your third one. Authority, authority, proper authority. Well, the authority. So it must the, the the war must be fought under a legitimate authority. Uh, you know, if Tim Demi gets mad at the uh, uh, at the Dominican Republic, I can't declare war. I, I don't have the authority to declare war. It must it must fall under the the uh, the construct of we would say of, of the nation state. Uh, so individuals don't declare war. Nations declare war, and 
individuals go to war under the authority of a legitimate government. What struck me is I read the book was that proportionality seemed to come up consistently throughout um, yes. your exposition on a just war tradition, and that even before war, during war, and after war, this idea of proportionality come, comes into play. Can you uh, amplify in that sure. a little bit for us? Sure. Proportionality, so in proportionality comes into play primarily in the, once hostilities have ensued, it is, mm -hmm. uh, there, there are two, two, doc, two elements, two doctrines. One is one is proportionality, and the other is non-combatant immunity. Uh, so proportionality is you use only that amount of force that is required to ensure victory. Uh, you don't you don't level a city if you can do it if 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 you can take out what you need to take out with with a, with a single cruise missile. So it it it's. And which then rolls over into uh, non-combatant immunity. It was, it was some, sometimes it's also referred to as discrimination. That you must, to the extent possible, to the extent possible, you must uh, distinguish between combatants and non-combatants. Non-combatants are uh, are not to be attacked that, you know, to the extent possible. There, and 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 to do so is a war crime, which then plays into the third post hostilities. Uh, how is justice? To be rendered after the after the hostilities, um, and and there there's there's several several components of that. But the discrimination and proportionality, or we would say non-combatant immunity and proportionality, means use only the amount of force necessary to accomplish the mission, and to the extent possible, you are to shield uh, non-combatants uh, from hostilities. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So how much would you say that World War II is so, the, the tradition under you, you can continue. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, how much would you say World War II was a cause of not a proper exit so, strategy in World War One? That's interesting. That's a that's a debate among historians. Yeah. Some people will mm -hmm. talk about the some people will talk about the uh, World War One, World War Two. Uh, if, if you're a Brit, you'll talk about First World War, Second World War, and now others are talking about the, the long war mm -hmm. and seeing that there that perhaps the 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 war termination and the after the First World War, perhaps it was not just. Those are historical debates, but perhaps things perhaps it wasn't uh, handled as well as it might have been, and then and therefore uh, you know stimulated rearmament and and uh, aspects of the Second World War. But the, the the tradition itself recognizes that some evil and some tragedy in the world cannot be eliminated. You're not, we're not going to eliminate it. Yep. The question is, can we minimize it? Can is there a way to to uh, as it were build a fence around it? Can we can we restrict the the amount of conflict going on? And if so. How, how might we do that? And what are the guidelines, the principles that we might use in doing that? And so it, it, it comes up with this, this, uh, this framework of things to consider on the way to war, things to consider in the midst of war, and things to consider uh, after, after war, after, after hostilities have finished. For instance, is there, and this, you know, this is debated, does the, is there a, uh, you know, post-hostility, is there a requirement for the, um, for the victor to assist the vanquished, you know, is there is there is a martial plan 
like we did after the Second World War? Is there, you know, is there none? You know, and we might say, well, yeah, it makes good sense. It's, you know, of course, it should. It makes good sense. It's not, does it make good sense? It's, is there a moral, ethical responsibility to do so? Is it wrong not to do so? Uh, not is it feasible, not is it practicable, not is it a good idea, uh, not is it good business practice, is it morally and ethically uh, necessary to do so? That brings us uh, to me, the idea of what's going on in Ukraine. It seems like it, the war violates most of these things, proportionality for sure, not not killing women and children and attacking hospitals and, and maternity wards and just the leveling of a city. Is is that is that the idea here of proportionality? And what is the exit strategy that 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 Putin has? What what is the whole point of it? It seems to me that this is why people are outraged around the world against the Russians because they're violating all of these. Uh, specific ideas that are contained within the idea of a just just war, just cause, and and uh, uh, the, the yeah, certainly uh, I think we would say that I don't know about his exit strategy, but certainly we we would say that you know if the reports are accurate that we're seeing then and and the photographs and the the, the horror, the tragedy, the hospital, schools, women and children, yes, those run contrary to uh, just war the principles of the just war tradition. Um, and you are seeing we, we we are seeing the West respond, I think, within that framework, uh, yeah. talking about po uh, post-conflict. Uh, yeah, might there be uh, tribunals or something like that? So, okay. again, those are uh, we're seeing one side and we're not there. But yeah, but those are those are the kind of things that you're that, that the just war is trying to uh, tradition tries to minimize. Right. That you you know you don't attack women and children you don't and there and, and that that has played out throughout the centuries. Uh, I mean, in the Middle Ages, there it was the it extended to you didn't attack pilgrims on a pilgrimage. Uh, you you know you don't attack uh, sacred sites, uh, sanctuaries, churches, mosques, synagogues. Uh, you don't attack hospitals. Uh, that all of that plays into. Uh, you know what we've seen in, in with with the rise of uh, in the 20th century, what we call law, the law of armed conflict. Uh, you know, International Red Cross organizations such as that trying to uh, mitigate the suffering on the battlefield and acknowledging that some things are out, are out of bounds. Tim, you know. I think from the book and I think in people's hearts, nobody wants war. That's the last resort as we've already talked about it. Everybody wants peace. However, is peace always appropriate? Is peace something that we should strive for no matter what? Is there a time when a peace is incorrect to have? Sure. Well, and that's, uh, some people want war because we have war. So, uh, but, but no, the, the, you know, the, it is what we want. We don't want peace. We want a just peace. A tyrant can have peace. A dictator has peace. So, but the question is, is it a, yeah, but is, is it a, is it a just peace? And, you know, typically it is not. So, so the, the, the tradition says that, no, the, the goal is not peace. 
the goal is a just peace, and the goal is and a just peace is understood to be a peace that returns us to the status before the present circumstance or before the present conflict. So it, it, it is. It's but they're but they also also that you must also balance a just peace with a just war principle of. Uh, reasonable chance of success right. so i mean there are places where where we would say there are there is not justice there is not peace but is there a reasonable chance you know if if we were to go to war on behalf of those individuals is there a reasonable chance of success if there's not a reasonable chance of success you're not required to sacrifice yourself or your people you may choose to do so for yourself but you're not required to do so there's three portions of the just war tradition. We've talked about the cause or first cause to get into the war, but then there's the juice in bello, how you conduct yourself in the war. Yes. Uh, it's in Latin, it's defined as law yes. and war. And does that eliminate, yes. um, does it, does that eliminate total war? And what about nuclear weapons? Yeah. It, um... It's meant to eliminate total war. And uh, you know, the, the question of nuclear weapons within the just war tradition has been, you know, was heavily argued throughout the 50s, 19th, throughout the 70s and 80s. And it was come to believe, I mean, the, the view today, it, you know, is it, it is not, it's, it's not a viable, it's not viable because it doesn't discriminate. So it, uh, within the tradition, most proponents of the tradition would say, yes, nuclear war is is not is not viable. It's not it's not a viable position. All right. Um, there's some Christian objections to being in the military um, that you addressed in the book. Yes. Um, and one of them, you know, they kind of base it on the the commandment, thou shalt not kill, that needs to be uh that's right. totally misunderstood. The other thing is, biblically, I thought you uh, pointed out in the book that when John the Baptist saw soldiers, he didn't tell them, "Hey, you got to get out of out of being soldiers." You know that that it is a good uh, uh, thing to be in. To be right. Jesus, yeah. Was, Paul and, never it, does that. Paul never does yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, and again, it's an argument from silence to say, well, Jesus never told the soldiers to leave or, or Paul never told the, you know, the sold the soldier to leave what they were doing. Uh, part of that is a, a Roman soldier's, uh, you know, a Roman soldier's enlistment was 20 years. So they, the, <laughs> the option to get out was not real. Uh, there wasn't much of an option, but, the, but you, you don't see that. So I, and, and yes, people will argue, you know, the individual Christian in their conscience may, may argue, not for me. And I would say, okay, that's fine. But I think to argue, I think it's, I think to argue a complete pacifist perspective, you know, in my biblical worldview, that's, that doesn't, uh, that's not how I interpret scripture. It's not how I, you know, as I would say, as I put all the, you know, put all the verses of the Bible together in, in that puzzle, I don't come up with a pacifist picture. I come up with with a different picture. Uh, but certainly, you know, someone may choose to, to go that route. I think a lot of times it is the, the illustration I used uh, a lot was 
it's a lot like arguing uh, the tax code. And you say, well, I'm going to fill out my I'm going to fill out my my taxes this year uh, using uh, business the business tax code. Well, that's going to get you in trouble. And if you say, well, I'm going to fill out my business taxes using on a 1040, well, that's going to get you in trouble. So when you look at Old Testament, New Testament, when we look at Scripture, you know, who's the audience? Who, who's being spoken to in, in you know in this verse, in this chapter, in this book? You know, what's the context? And uh, it, it's a matter of sorting things out biblically that's our, you know, our hermeneutics our interpretations and then from that we build the theology and from that we apply the theology in into a worldview in all areas of life and so and there are you know there are disagreements on that but those are uh internal debates among among believers uh but i would argue that, that the 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 norm throughout the west uh within christianity has been the just war tradition in I mean, the we Bible, we do have the what's called the, the peace churches, historic peace church, the Quakers, the Mennonites, churches such as those. Uh, Can I ask a question that, that about have that? Have a very strong. Yes. Okay. In Absolutely. the Bible, uh, Matthew five, the in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about being a a peacemaker, about turning the other cheek, mm -hmm. about uh, giving your cloak, mm -hmm. and walking a mile. Uh, extra. Right. So the idea from that has been uh, some Amish and Quaker people, I believe, have mm -hmm. come up with a tradition that you shouldn't serve in the war, you shouldn't kill. Right. And there was an interesting story of a gentleman called Sergeant Alvin York. I don't know if yes. you remember that. And yeah. he was a Quaker, I believe, who was totally yeah. against war. And then yeah. um, for whatever reasons, he, he went into the service and he ended up um, being the most uh, decorated uh, soldier of World War One. Now, there was right. a movie made about it. And they asked him in the movie, I don't know if it's true or not. But here's a clip from the movie when he explains why he shot so many Germans. You know? Can't hear it, Gabe. Can't. Um. All right. Well, you can click out of it, and I'll just yeah I'll keep, just, keep uh, talking. I'll try to get it turned up. Uh, York says that he decided to participate as a soldier in the war and to kill Germans because it would save the lives of others in his um, company. And, uh, and I guess you could use that same theory or concept, you can click out of a game, with dropping the bomb on Hiroshima, and that it, the argument was that it would save lives of American servicemen from uh, attacking the island of Japan. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Tim? Right. That's, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that is, it, it, that is a huge debate and a huge uh, question. I will I, first I'll say that there's a, a scholar named Mark Levecki who's writing a book on that uh, at, at present from a just war perspective. But yes, the, the view was that, that it, it was the dropping of the bomb was done to save, that, that, to save many more lives. And the, the number, you know, as the numbers played out among all the uh, 
the army, the navy, up up to the up to the president. The, the you know we had just come off the last six months of the war. They just come off, especially the Battle of Okinawa, and the and and the extreme casualties that were there. And although the uh, the Japanese Navy was largely their capacity was extremely diminished, the Japanese air capacity was extremely diminished. The Japanese Army capacity was not. They still had uh, more than a million troops in, in Manchuria. And so, and, and the view was that the closer they got to the home islands and the closer they got to, to Japan itself, that the more, the, the greater the intensity was going to be to, to hold on. And indeed, even after the dropping of the first bomb, they, the, the, the army did not want to surrender. So the, the, the emperor, you know, over uh, there, there was political debate within, uh, within the Japanese government uh, whether or not to surrender. So there were, but it, yes, it was a, it was horrendous, uh, both of them, no question. And uh, but they, it was it, the bomb was dropped by the U.S. with a view that by doing so, ultimately they were saving the number. They were saving as horrible as it is. They were they were they were saying more more people would die had they not done it. That was that was the expectation. And that was the argument of Sergeant York in the movie. Yes, that was his argument on a on a on a personal level. Absolutely, right. yeah. Right. So a few, and again, the military. You know, we we in the United States we have the liberty of freedom of conscience, the the ability to say, you know, I I cannot in good conscience do that, mm -hmm. and that so that uh, you know if someone is a uh, actually there's two types of conscience objector: those who say I cannot participate at all in the military, or those who say I can I can participate but only as a non-combatant. As a medic, as a corpsman, uh, you know, it, it, in in a in a non-fighting capacity. So, yeah, uh, we're 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 privileged in in our nation that we have that written into our law and that ability to do that to to say, uh, no, I can't do that for reasons of conscience. I cannot do that. So, yeah, and it shows the importance, especially the. Um, the bombing of Hiroshima, the importance of advisors, good advisors, just war advisors around you, because no one person can make the decision on their own. Even a few people can't make that decision on their own. It has to be, ha you have to get all different kinds of input, whether right. somebody might think and of what, a different point. Right. And what we know now, what yeah. we didn't know then. Yeah. So yeah, from the view of the, uh, the, except maybe for Oppenheimer and a very small group of scientists, the, the standing view was it's just a bigger bomb. It's just mm -hmm. going to be a bigger explosion than the others. We weren't, yeah, I was, yeah, the leaders, certainly President Truman, others were not, we, we didn't know all the, the radiological effects, the long-term effects it was going to have. It was just a view. This is just it's it's just a, a bigger bomb, a bigger bang, and so again, what uh, yeah, we gain more knowledge as 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 as, uh, as as time moves on. It yeah. also shows us though that in in a war, and certainly the Second World War has many there are many instances where it, you know, it's it's possible to go to to enter into a war for the right reasons. We would say for just war reasons. Uh, you know, you may meet all the criteria for going to war, but then you may conduct that war unjustly, or, uh, or you know, you could all, a nation, a nation or military members could go to war for wrong, be sent to war for wrong reasons, but conduct the war 
in accordance with uh, the laws of armed conflict and the just war tradition. So there's no, you know, there's no guarantee that just because you start something that it will it will finish according to to principles. It has yeah. every you know, every action, every every day, every campaign, every you know has to be has to uh, there has to be a, a continual uh, application of the principles. Yeah, I'm hearing that one size does that fit all uh, situations, and so you have to take each situation for, for itself. Now, let me go back to scripture again, because um, uh, Scott brought up the uh, Jesus to turn the other cheek, give him your cloak, walk the extra mile. Sure. That the problem with that, and I think you address this in the book as well, is its application. Christ's application for it was intended to be as an individual person, right. not to understand it as a country or, or right. appropriate authority making that decision right. and saying, okay, you blow up one city, right. I'll let you blow up another. I mean, so that's kind of the bizarre way uh, those right. passages are applied. It's, it's, it, it, yeah. It's the, it's the sphere. Is it addressed to the individual? Is it addressed to the church? Is it addressed to the state? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would argue that there are, there are spheres of responsibility in the same way that the tax code has is it an individual tax code or is it a business tax code? And if you start applying one to the other, you, you know, you're, you're going to get yourself in, you know, yeah. into a pretzel pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And so we would contend that, yes, what, that, what is applicable for you know, for the individual or for the church may not be applicable uh, in instances of the state. Or, or well, that the comes down to hermeneutics, doesn't it? It does. Understanding the scripture is the way it was meant to yes. be understood. Right. We start, we start with the one piece and work out from there, building, you know, building a consistent hermeneutic, a consistent interpretation. And then on the basis of that consistent interpretation, we build a consistent theology. And then on the basis of that consistent theology we seek to apply it to every area of life and we are in remembering that all the way through the the main problem is this thing called people who are inconsistent and we have our frailties and our and sometimes we don't get things right but we but we strive to do that you know so that the the actions of our hands flow from the attitudes of our hearts i think you're uh, talking about gary right could be could be yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. The first part of the book, um, I came away with the thought of, so our church is going through an apologetics class. We're kind of going through the different arguments. One of the arguments mm -hmm. is the moral argument, right? If they use it as if it's more, if it's everything's moral, there's no objectivity. That can't be right. There has to be a God to show that murder is wrong, to show that certain things are wrong. Right. You bring that up in your book, right? There has to be an objective right. point in order to go to war, right? You, you show, and I think I just want to get your thoughts on it. There has to be objectivity if you're going to war, right? If it was just morality or if everything was just um, relative, right? And there was no objectivity. You could just say that, hey, China thinks this way. They believe in concentration camps. They believe in this. Right. To each his own, right? Well, to each to, country his own. Right. It has to be based, you know, we would say it has to be based on scripture and has to be based on interpretation of scripture. And the, yeah, the, the, uh, <clears throat> Anytime someone says we ought or we should in any realm of life, the, the first thing that should go up in your mind is by what standard? Mm -hmm. And we, we would contend that the, the, you know, the standard of scripture and the interpretation and, and the interpretation of scripture. So yes, it, it has to be based on, uh, you know, on reason, on, on reason and on interpretation and reason of scripture. 
rather than on emotion. Gotcha. So just has- because I want something that you know, doesn't give me the right to tear down your fence and and start planting uh, daffodils in your yard. You know, well, I just want to, I want more, I want to see more daffodils. No, there has to, there, it, you know, emotion doesn't, uh, doesn't satisfy the criteria for, uh, for enlarging your, your boundaries, your nation's boundaries. Uh, I'm not sure Jabez. At all. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, so there has to be an objective God. Um, so why does this God allow war? Is the, is this God evil? Is God evil for allowing war? What's your, no, on that? we live in a, we live in a fallen world. If um, God is it, sovereign, it, why does he it, stop war? So he will oh. at some point. He will at some point in the future. Gotcha. But, uh, in the, <laughs> why doesn't he restrain it now though? If he's, well, if he's he, sovereign. Because he's still out working his plan in history. In in he's still outworking his plan for humanity, and uh, and it will be for you know history in history and in prophecy and the you know God's plan for the ages is still is is yet to come to fruition, uh, but it will at one day. It Scott's will one day. Our responsibility in, in the interim is to um, to minimize uh, war, to minimize suffering, to minimize trauma, tragedy, uh, evil. In, uh, on the internet, in, on the interpersonal sphere, and in the international sphere, to the extent that we have the ability and the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Well, Scott's trying to trap you a little bit there, Tim, <laughs> um, and he knows it. The because uh, he, okay. he left he, he left out man's free will, the other aspect of God's sovereignty. But I don't want to get into that. I want to get into another passage of scripture. I go right back to scripture all the time. That's abused. But in, in this situation, and that's the first six verses of Romans chapter 13. You know, that chapter has been accused of, of, of being allowing all these sword. Yeah, he's, he just so bears the sword. Um, and so people use that for their own, um, I guess, <laughs> for, for their own position. Yeah. Why don't you help us out with those first few verses of Romans 13? Well, I think we, we bear, you know. I, so I believe Christians are permitted to bear the sword under the authority of government. We do so not for our own purposes, not for retaliatory own emotions or vindications. We do so as as legitimate agents of the state. Even I mean, August, and Augustine said that, and it, which has also been something that we tend to lose sight of in recent decades but augustine says that when you go to war you always go to war with a sense of remorse mm. that yes it may be it's the last reasonable thing to do but we all you always go to war with a sense of remorse because you we understand the gravity of what it is and the the gravity of what is what it, you know what may take place and what is about to take place and indeed, in, in the Middle Ages, there, uh, when there was a, you know a, long, a large system of uh, of penance, that is, you would you know for penance for your sins and confession and so forth. There were there were lists such that if you you know if you knew you killed someone in battle, your penance was one thing. If you thought you killed someone but you weren't sure, your penance was something else. If you didn't know, 
uh, your penance might be something else. So the you know the penance for the archer with the longbow would be one thing because they had what we would now call over the horizon targeting. The penance for the person who kills someone hand to hand combat might be greater. So it, it, it but it's it's this idea that there is it's always it's always a tragedy. It's always a last resort. And it is always going to shape and affect people in ways otherwise unimaginable, probably not only for the individual involved, but for generations, to, potentially for generations to come. So that, you know, it is, it's always a tragedy, but sometimes it is a necessary tragedy to go to war. Going back to scripture, which Gary likes to do. Um, mm -hmm. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, you shall not commit murder. And yet we've Correct. sat here and we've said that it's okay for a Christian to be in the military, to fight for his country and, and in essence, kill combatants. Right. What's the difference between, for our, re, our, our listeners now, what's the difference between murder and killing another man in battle? Why is that moral? Well, uh, I'm going to nuance that. If okay. it is done under the authority of the state and it is done under legal orders and following the principles of proportionality and non-combatant immunity, it is not murder. It is possible to be in the military and to be in combat and to, and to murder someone. Mm -hmm. But that, uh, that takes on a personal... Uh, a personal sense of, of vengeance, of uh, of anger, of wrath, but it, that is that is different from you know it's that would be misconduct. It, it you know uh, you can't shoot the prisoner. I was just First reading a you can't shoot the prisoner. That, that would just, be that would be murder, and that's a war crime. But to, was, but but to, to but to kill someone in combat under laws of armed conflict is deemed to be functioning under the authority of the state and not murder. I was just watching a film or reading a book. I can't remember what it was, but it was about the Holocaust and how the yes. U.S. military troops went into the, the concentration camps and freed the prisoners. Yes. And many yes. of the men were so overcome with anger and angst right. that they actually right. shot a lot of the German uh, guards. Now, would that have right. been murder or would that have been... Um, Oh, killing is a combat. That, that, that would not have been in accordance with the laws of armed conflict. Yep. Although many would sympathize with this, with the horrible circumstance of why, you know, why it occurred. Right. No, that is, but that is, that's where uh, training and restraint comes in. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's uh, move on to something we haven't touched on yet. And that is um, other religious viewpoints on the issue of war. And that's sure. Islam. You started talking about how, why sure. you wrote the book and you brought up 9-11. Yeah. Terrorism, Islamic terrorism. Um, they actually justify uh, th those battles as jihad. And they have uh, uh, theological reasons for doing so uh, right. that they believe are just. Because they're bringing Correct. on, they want to bring on Sharia law to the entire world eventually. Correct. Um, Correct. It's a holy war. 
It's a holy war. Exactly. So would you care to comment on that somewhat? Because you do bring it up in the book. Sure. So let me back up first and say that the just war, one of the one of the core principles of the just war is that it it contends that it is ethically normative for all people. We recognize that not all people adhere to it, but we say that it, it applies to all people, whether you adhere to it or not. So, and we and also recognize that uh, within every religious tradition, there are, I would call them similar or, there are similar or parallel aspects to the just war tradition. Uh, so that, I mean, mo many religions will talk about dealing with prisoners. Many religions will talk about non-combatants. So there, there are similarities. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't call them just war principles because they don't come out of the Western genealogy, intellectual genealogy. But they do argue, but, and, and, and then second, the third thing I would argue is that within every religion, there is a spectrum of belief. So it's very, it's very difficult to, I can't say that all Christians believe any more than I would say that all Muslims oh, believe sure. X, Y, or Z. So there, there is a spectrum. Um, we did write the book after 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 9-11, and certainly there is a uh, there there you know there is a strand within Islam that 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 argues uh, that argue, that argues terrorism as a as a viable. Uh, means of conflict. I, I don't believe that it is. I believe that terrorism is, is always uh, political gain. Uh, it's always the, the abuse of the, of, the, of, of the innocent for political gain, and it's always wrong, whether it's done under a religious banner or a political banner um, or, or a nationalist banner or something else. It's, I believe it's, you know, terrorism is always wrong. But it certainly... Uh, certainly, there are those within Islam who who argued its viability uh, based upon their interpretation of their scriptures. Uh, I would argue that that's not, yeah, yeah. I, I reject it, but that's yeah. There are those, and you know, just as uh, you know, we we tend in the West we tend to think Christian Muslim, but we could look at. We can look at, right. uh, at I mean, at, at Buddhist-Muslim conflict. We can look at Hindu-Muslim conflict. Uh, we can look at, uh, yeah, Confucian-Buddhist, Confucian-Hindu conflict. You know, you can mix and match those, and you're going to come. You know, the 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 the, uh, the use and abuse of religion in warfare uh, knows no bounds and has a long history, and no 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 religious tradition is exempt from it. Mm. So. Say you live in a country that gets involved in an unjust war. How can an individual's citizen show his dissent? And is that ever a justification for the citizenry to rise up in an insurrection against uh, the e an evil regime? Good question. <clears throat> well, that's a very, that's a very good question. And uh, I think, you know, we are always called to act upon biblical principles to the extent that we have the ability to do so and the opportunity to do so. And in our nation, that the ability and the opportunity is, is uh, comparatively is, is, is pretty broad. In many nations, it is not. Uh, so it, it would be done uh, 
with more fear and trembling in some nations than in others. But uh, you know, we have we are we are. Uh, yeah, so what Bonhoeffer we're obligated to act upon our religious and biblical values, and realizing that that the cost may be unpleasant. That was so what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was cost of discipleship. Yeah, so. can can you speak to that? What Bonhoeffer did in Germany with uh, Adolf Hitler? Well, Bonhoeffer is a very interesting person. He, yeah. uh, you know, uh, died at the age of thirty-eight. He was he was hanged by on hanged by Hitler at, within two weeks of the end of the war. <clears throat> His parents learned about his death over the over a BBC radio broadcast. Uh, he had he had come to the United States and then but then said, "If I don't go back to minister to my people in, uh, in during the war, I would have no right to serve them afterwards." And so he went back and he was part of what was called the Confessing Church, uh, which was a, a split away from from the state church which had come under Hitler. But he also, and so Bonhoeffer was a pacifist. Mm-hmm. And Bonhoeffer, the pacifist, also became convinced that it was necessary for him to become involved in the July 20th, uh, 1944 plot to kill Hitler. Yep. And so he becomes involved in that through his brother-in-law and, and, and others. And is, after the failure of that plot, he's caught up in, in, the, in that uh, in that in that dragnet uh, and is sentenced to death, but he and he but, and he wrestled with it. But it, again, he, he so you have a pacifist who says he, he called Hitler antichrist. He said Hitler is the is Hitler is antichrist. He didn't call him the antichrist. But he said Hitler is antichrist, and that believed that he must be uh, eradicated by whatever means. And so he shelved his ethical views uh, to participate in this plot to kill Hitler. Interestingly, the book that he was writing that was in, incomplete at the time of his death, the book he was writing while he was in prison, is a book we now know called Ethics by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So he, he, he wrestled with it, but felt that it was his biblical, theological, responsibility to act against Hitler, even though he had strong pacifist persuasions and and, and leanings. He he couldn't overcome that. Could you connect the Alvin York killing people to keep others from dying, dropping the atomic bomb to keep American soldiers from dying, and Bonhoeffer, the same idea, kill Hitler so as many people don't die from his continuing the war, could you kind of link those together with the same I kind could, of principle? I could link. I, I would link. I could link York and Bonhoeffer. I, I the I, I think the the dropping of the bomb it really is such that it it mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. part of it. it. It becomes its own huge other discussion, and there there may be strands that will go back to that, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily group those three together. I would, I would, because when you talk, I think when we talk in the Second World War to talk about the Holocaust, to talk about the bombs, that the magnitude, the ramifications uh, are so large and, and remain with us that I think that they, um, I would well, just individuals versus state. Different. Yeah. Pardon? Individuals versus state actions, too. Yes. Uh, well, absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's interesting. There were two chaplains that were involved with the dropping of the bomb. 
they were one was the unit chaplain for the uh, for, for the planes that dropped the bomb, and the other was uh, a circuit rider. He was he was a, a a Catholic priest who dealt with many units, and that was those were the, the Catholics in the in that unit were among those he dealt with. But they they both dealt with it, and afterward after the war, one for the rest of his life said it was the right thing to do, and another said it was wrong. We should not have done it. So there you have two people intimately connected with it that that chose different routes um, after the war so but it, it certainly is certainly it, the dropping of the bombs was enormous again more people died, died in the firebombing of tokyo than died in the in the, in the dropping of the bombs right. so you, that's where you get in we get into the side the, the total war and the destruction proportionality of yeah proportionality yeah right mm -hmm. yep True. Yeah. Before we end here, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about something. I didn't want to let leave without it. The Supreme emergency. Okay. Right. What is the Supreme emergency and what length is it justified? How extreme should it be? So Supreme emergency is a phrase that was coined by Winston Churchill when he wanted to, at the beginning of the war, second world war, he wanted to mine uh, put, drop, put sea mines in Norwegian territory. He wanted to invade Norwegian sovereignty and drop sea mines to, to keep the Germans from getting the iron ore that they would use in, in, their, in their war machine. And mm -hmm. Churchill argued that there was something called supreme emergency, which is it's also called dirty, uh, uh, it's called uh, back against the wall ethics, uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's dirty ethics. It's supreme emergency concept is that is, is the argument that sometimes what is at stake is so great that we must abandon the normal rules under which we act and govern ourselves uh, because civilization itself is at stake. Mm -hmm. And his so Churchill's argument was that civilization, Western civilization as it was then known, was at stake against the war against uh, Nazism. And therefore, it was legitimate to uh, uh, put the rules aside temporarily. Um, the rules of just war tradition, discrimination and proportionality, even any or all the rules aside, it's like, we have no other choice. We've got to do this. If we don't do this, uh, not only, it, it, it was the idea that not only might we lose the war, but we will lose. <coughs> Excuse me. We will lose civilization as we know it. Is it a That's well? Is it a well-supported belief now? Like how widespread is it now? It is. It is. Uh, just war proponents uh, highly debated. It's it's a highly debated okay. viewpoint. Okay. Of which for which there is no unanimity, and there are, there are variations on it. Uh, one is, and part of that comes into objectivity is. How do you know it's a, how do you know it's a supreme emergency? Yeah, your back's against the wall, but how do you know it's a supreme emergency? <clears throat> because you know you think something might happen, and therefore yeah. you're going to act. But what if it doesn't happen? Yeah, uh, or what if it happens and it's not as great as you thought? So it, it I would say it's it's um, it's debated. There's not by by no means is there unanimity on on the idea of su supreme emergency. Uh, ethics and more.
Yeah. Well, we know for sure is it has to be an extremely extreme situation. Right. Right. Nothing so, routine. Uh, All right. Anything else? So, guys? Now, so can you think it was? Can you think of something that would be so great that it would that it would destroy civilization if we, as we know it, if we did not act, and therefore, but we we think we have the means to act to prevent that, even though by doing that act, we're going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, violate all of our principles of, of just war tradition are we then permitted to do it yes or no it, some say this, yes some say no is it is the idea of preemptive war does that fit into this whole idea it's it's more than preemptive war uh preemptive war preemptive war is that is and again preemptive war again we think of these uh these ideas emerged in a in a little different environment where it was largely uh, either maritime or, or or ground warfare. I'm amassing on the border, and so I think you're going to come across. So I preemptively attack you. Uh, well, but preemptive war is is viewed as legitimate in the just war tradition, recognizing that preemptive war uh, is based on intelligence and certitude. And so it's a yeah, and we we you know we saw that in recent months, uh, you know, in 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 Ukraine, amassing on the border, you know, are, is it a training exercise? Or are they? And there was discussions back and forth. So, preemptive war says that you know if you if you have a an extremely high degree of certainty that they're going to attack, it's only a matter of of when, not if. Then you have the uh, the right to preemptively. Uh, to, to act preemptively, but again, that's Israel, based, Israel yeah. in '73. Correct. It's based upon intelligence and certitude, but but it, it is viewed as a valid concept. Doesn't preemptive war have to be for defensive purposes only, though? Yes. Okay. Uh, one more yes, question. Yes, it can't be for. I got to get in there more too. Territory. Go ahead, Gary, you go first. All right. Uh, since the three of us are uh, graduates of Dallas Seminary, uh, we believe in a, in a literal 1,000-year millennium. Yeah. Uh, that was a time of peace and, and yeah. safety. Uh, no war during that period yeah. of time until the very end. It's a time when the, uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Of course, it's been said you can't do that now because you'd have to keep replacing the lamb. <laughs> right. Like that. As, as the story is. So that yeah. is the time when we're going to look forward to a, a peace, a lasting peace without war. And I'm just looking forward to that. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. One last question. After World War I, we had the League of Nations. After yes. World War II, we had the United Nations. And both have been yes. complete failures, waste of money, waste of time. Um, why is that? Uh, well, I, not everyone would agree with your uh with your statement there uh certainly the right. league of nations was not <laughs> was not a success uh united nations is it's 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 uh um, i think the united nations has has a probably most people would say has a mixed track record uh you know is, is it worth the money that's put into it those are you know political economic debates uh well ukraine i didn't hear a stinking thing from the the UN about what Russia was doing beforehand. Not a, not they did meet. Oh well, they met. I mean, they they, they did. But you have Russia as a, as a voting member of the of the Security Council that 
as, uh, you know, has a veto. So, yeah, th there are places where, I mean, there, there have been standing UN missions uh, around the globe where, uh, I, you know, where I think. Say, I'm out on a corner and there's 10 yeah, guys. Good has been achieved. Uh, I'm out on a corner and there's 10 guys and they have a meeting and they're going to beat Scott up. And my buddies are over there having a meeting saying, hey, Scott's going to get beat up. What should we do about it? Nothing. I mean, that's what the UN is. They do nothing. I, I, I don't know of any successful participation by the UN in stopping a war from happening. Maybe you can correct me, but I don't know of anything. The Korean War. We have 53,000 yeah, Americans died there. But, was we, there but, we, but we have a, uh, you know, we have a divided, Korea, we have a divided Korean peninsula and yes. uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's stability is, you know, that may perhaps a bit of a roller coaster, but we don't have a, you know, you, you, we don't, you don't have a, a Korean peninsula under, uh, under North mm -hmm. Korean rule. So, uh, but again, those. It, 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 I think when when we talk about, uh, for me, talking about the United Nations is, is a bit like talking about the presidency or the Congress. Sure. Pretty soon, it, it devolves into you got to talk about an individual administration or an individual president or an individual Congress or an individual conflict. And has yes. you know, has the UN been as viable as we uh, as we wanted? Uh, Perhaps yes, perhaps no. Uh, certainly, first Gulf War, you enacted there. We had uh, uh, so I, I think it, it it it's a mixed track record. The the problem uh, what some and, and it's a mixed track record of many of many problems, including uh, who who's in charge, who supplies. Uh, it, it, it yeah, it becomes a very difficult issue rapidly. Uh, I guess the alternative is do nothing or try, attempt nothing. Uh, some would say they've attempted and done well and, and had successes. Others would say they haven't attempted or they have or they've attempted and haven't had successes. So that's that's part of the ongoing political uh, uh, discussions yeah. that we have. I think the well, solution I, is to combine all the power in the UN, right? UN, one big government, a global right? government. Yeah, global yeah. government. That's there we go. <laughs> the, the great reset. I wasn't yeah, asking right? you to defend the UN, by the way. No, right. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Um, yeah it is. It is uh, definitely a. Uh, uh, many people would look at it and scratch their heads. Right. All right. Well, I think, uh, unless Gary or Gabe has another question, I think we've exhausted the subject. I think so, we're all good. I don't think we'll ever exhaust the subject, but I well, think you know, got, I mean, for this hour, yeah, got enough information in here. Thank you so much and good information. Me. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, you've been, you've been uh, articulate. Thank you. Yeah. Um, is is, is there, there anything you go ahead, Gabe? Oh, okay. I was going to see if you're probably going to do it, but is there any um, website, new books coming out? Is there anything you want to direct our listeners to that they can look at? No, I don't think so. Not, I mean, not not at this point. I would just, uh, okay. I All so. you have to re really do is go on Amazon and type in Timothy Demi, and you're going to get a boatload of books. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we really appreciate you, your Absolutely. service Thank to the you. Lord, your service to our country. We okay. salute you, and we look up to you. 
And I still can't believe all the schools you went to and the degrees you've earned. Well, I'm going to go home and just, I mean, I'm going to go to bed and just go to sleep because I'm so tired just thinking about it. But um, we yeah. appreciate all that you're doing. And uh, we want to thank you very much for appearing with us today. And um, can we have a word of prayer? Gary, you want to close us in prayer? Would that be okay? Wait a minute. That's not on my script. No, it's not on your list. <laughs> what are we going to do? Absolutely. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for the, this uh, discussion with Tim and uh, uh, what your word has to say about uh, war and peace. May we have a greater understanding of that. I ask that you would uh, bless us as we uh, leave this meeting, uh, be, that we'd be encouraged in your word. And uh, again, uh, that uh, you will be honored and glorified in all that we do. We're coming up on uh, Easter and Good Friday to, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And so, uh, again, we just bless your name. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. God bless. Thank God bless. you very much. Yep. We'll Thank see you, you next time. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the book podcast if you liked what you heard and want to support us like follow subscribe on any podcasting platform on youtube on facebook instagram or twitter simply type in at hear the book pod at hear the book pod thank you see you next time